0: Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. You can learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us on Sunday mornings at El Dorado High School in the Performing
1: Arts Center at 9 and 11 a.m. I couldn't wipe that imagery out of my mind for the rest of the sermon. I was able to refocus, and I'm really struggling with this whole concept of us practicing heaven on earth. It almost seems an unfair task to ask of the redeemed since sin, temptations, fleshly weakness, et cetera, run rampant here. Not to mention Satan being on the prowl here, it feels like we're set up for failure. So the question is, so last week we ended with the idea that we're to be an advance guard, a foretaste, an appetizer, a picture of what's coming. So because every tongue and tribe and nation um, we'll be worshiping together we, uh, in the new creation. We picture that here because there'll be justice in the new creation. We picture that here. So the question is I mean, that seems a bit unfair since we're weak, we have an adversary, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I, and I think that's a very fair question that I can't do justice to in 30 seconds, except to say this I do believe that one of the most neglected aspects. Of the way we do church is, uh, is teaching and practice about what it means to actually have the Spirit of God dwell within us and to work cooperatively with the Spirit of God to see actual transformation happen. In other words, as you progress with Jesus to actually change your character so that you are more loving, the, the fruit of the Spirit that we talk about and have potpourri uh, about in Christian book source, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Like you're actually to become more like those things so that, that life with Jesus becomes easier, not harder. And so, yes, do we have flesh to overcome, an enemy to overcome, temptation over? Of course. But I never wanna, I, so we always wanna grant the reality of that, but we never wanna undersell. Uh, because the scripture doesn't, the presence of the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead now residing in us. The fact of the matter is most of us don't even know what that means or how that works. So that's a great conversation uh, for us to have next spring also. Last one, I hope. I'm bummed there's no marriage and procreating in heaven. This, besides being married to Jesus... I'm guessing the reason we can't procreate is because we will be eating from the tree of life. And if everyone were to procreate and eat from the tree, then surely our restored earth couldn't handle us all. Next. I'm sure life will be grand without marriage and sex, right? Sure. I don't have any idea. I know. I know my wife. You know, what Jesus gets asked at one point, this hypothetical question from Sadducees about, you know, so so a, a woman has seven different husbands. Who will she be married to in the age to come? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. People aren't given, uh, they, they're not given in marriage, uh, in the life, in the age to come. We're kind of like the angels. And people kind of read into that. Well, there is no marriage. There is no procreation. And we can't imagine. My wife, the romantic that she is, just thinks it's heartbreaking that we will not be married. I think it's wonderful. And um, <laughs> just kidding. Totally kidding. So... I don't know the answer to that question. I don't. The image of being married to Jesus, sure. I think that um, my personal view is is that no eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, no imagination has ever conceived of what God has in store. And the last thing we will be feeling in the new creation is loss. So I don't know what that means and how that works here, but I'm with you. We can't imagine life without these sorts of things. So I can't imagine that that new creation will be be running around going, man, I wish wish we could have kids right now. uh, Or I wish we could have sex right now. Um, I don't know how that works, though. Great question. Great question. Next. Last one. Due to having free will, mankind lost the first paradise. What does this say about those of us who will dwell on God's new earth? Will we not have free will, or are we bound to repeat the whole sin situation over again? I got, a really, I got another question that was super, super um, similar to this, but it, was, it said, listen, if God, if in the new creation, we can't sin, then why didn't God start there? Like, if in the new creation, we're all there, and none of us can sin, then why, why didn't he just do that? Why this whole thing? And now my answer, and people will disagree with this, I I do think we have free will in uh, the new creation. And the reason is God never wanted puppets, ever. He's always wanted cooperative participants. And I don't believe we will sin. And the reason is, simply, we won't want to. I think one of the things that we talk about least in the church is the transformation of desire. And uh, I, I personally believe we'll have free will and that we will not sin because we do not want to. So that's my take More to come on that. Now, see, this is what you do to me. We also got a great question about communion, why we do communion, so that'll be a teaching. You guys do a lot to really direct the conversations in our community, so I'm always so grateful when you text in questions, particularly snarky ones, or ones that express love. Now, I want to introduce you to my friend, AJ. AJ's going to share his story this morning. Say hello, AJ. Um, One of the huge values... Uh, because we're so committed to being a, a, a safe place to talk about anything, we try to put that on display through Q&A, and uh, we try to put it on display through story. And so, AJ's courageous enough to share a bit of his journey, so take it away. All right. Um,
0: so, I apologize if this seems a bit rough. I like to get a little bit of animation going on um, to connect. Really?
1: They're going to be offended by that? <laughs> I don't think so.
0: Okay. So full disclosure: my past isn't radical. Uh, my struggles have more to do with the president, with the president. right? right. <laughs> with the present and the way I think. so this particular story goes out to the skeptics and/ or postgrads. Ooh. Hi, everyone. My name is A.J. I'm 24 years old, and I have no idea what I'm doing. period. So a little snapshot. I was born and raised in Dallas, Texas. Uh, when I was 16, moved to California, Palm Springs, and uh, graduated high school there. I went to the University of Nevada, played football there for a year before transferring to Biola University over in Anaheim. Because they have uh, a great football program. Right, right, right. Yeah, undefeated. Mm-hmm. And uh, They don't have a football program, just to be program. clear. Yeah. on the joke. <laughs> uh, earned a business degree in both management and marketing, and then went into real estate and have been doing that since. Uh, so I've been out of college for about two years, two and a half years. Um, I have an amazing family. My mother is the most kind-hearted and funny person you'll ever meet. And my father is the most interesting man in the world. Um, just because my dad uh, is really important to... It's like a crucial part of my personality. Um, I'll give you a little brief picture. For those of you who have heard of Burning Man Festival, uh, my dad is one of the founders. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so... Oh, my goodness. He's a hippie, the original weirdo, and someone general church culture dislikes theologically, politically, and culturally. So... Those two, those two are still together uh, over in the mountains somewhere. And uh, yeah, so I have two little sisters who are both in college and i am close with both of them. Uh, on the flip side, I was diagnosed with depression at age 11. Mm. And uh, th- most of that is because of my dad. Um, not because of anything he did to me, but just because of the way we think. Um, and anxiety at 15. Mm. So I was bullied heavily in middle school, early high school. And I'm pretty sure that led to the dependence I have on affirmation right now. So, spiritually, I grew up as a standard Southern Christian, going to church uh, on Easter and Christmas dressed in a suit and tie and attending Sunday school sessions that taught us to be good or go to hell. Um, Although I've always been a good kid, I didn't start really pursuing a relationship with Christ until I moved to California, and it wasn't until my time at Biola that I experienced a truly Christ-centered community. So, that brings me to the present, which is what my story is really about. Um, Now I've graduated, and I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, I don't know what I want to do. I've let off the gas in real estate, because that's what I'm doing right now, um, to check out other lines of work. So now money is tight. Uh, My social life is in the tank, because the few friends that are still around, I don't see often. And I have all these huge expectations for my future that I'm having a difficult time being patient with. Mm. Um, I seek answers through prayer, but God and I's communication is very one-sided, so... Uh, most of the time, and I know many of you are in the same boat. So my greatest spiritual obstacle, obviously, has been doubt. And uh, (laughs) as I mentioned, I get it from my dad, that upbringing is perhaps my greatest blessing and greatest curse. Uh, I don't take anyone or anything at face value, Uh, taught to always ask the questions why and why not, which, as you can imagine, makes things like interpreting Scripture pretty overwhelming. Hmm. Even after attending one of the world's greatest biblical universities, I came out with more questions than answers. So my tentative stance as it pertains to faith is this. I'm in process just like everyone else. As a born and raised skeptic, I struggle with doubt and questions, but instead of spending years of my life arguing with differing opinions and longing for answers, I choose to step back and look at the big picture. So many people can get bogged down in the details, divided by differences in interpretation of scripture. Split churches by differences in decision-making, all for what, though? Like, so we can effectively miss the point of the gospel that we preach? Vox oh. is the first community I've, called home, uh, I've ever called a home church because it doesn't miss the point. No matter your opinions, beliefs, race, gender, political views, sexuality, nationality, whatever, Vox focuses on loving and accepting everyone at all costs. A community that openly proclaims our imperfections and calls the broken people, calls other broken people, to be real and vulnerable with themselves as well. I have a lot of other positive specific feedback here. Um, And a couple more perspectives on life I'd like to share, but I need to keep it short. So in sum, I think this is a community that uh, Jesus would be proud of. And so. in the midst of this dumb chapter of life that I'm in, I'm really happy to be a part of it. So, oh, thank
1: you. dude, love it. <laughs> love it. It's freaking amazing, dude. Thank you. Do I leave now? Yes, okay. you I, leave, I, unless you're going to help sing. <laughs> AJ, I love that. Man, and, and, and that's, why we, that's why we do the Q&A. I mean, I just love that doubters and skeptics and questioners can feel safer. I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, we are honored to have Santa Claus uh, with us today. <laughs> and uh, come on, I know, I know, it's too easy. That's Steve and Cindy, and, and you know Izzy. So, um, a- as always, um, when we come and we sing, we always do it with a mix of permission that if you're here, there's no, we don't hype this, we don't make everyone, you know, uh, do everything. Um, But we also come, if you're a Jesus follower, we want to come with expectation. And we want to come believing that God meets with us here. And part of why we sing is we open ourselves up to what he's doing. And so I encourage you to stand, to sit, to whatever, um, but to participate. Even if you're here and you're not a fan of Jesus or a fan of the church, um, don't just waste these moments. Think about what's being sung and where you find yourself in the story being played out. So let me pray. And we'll turn it over to this crew. God, thank you for AJ and the, and the skeptics among us. One of my favorite pictures is after you'd risen from the dead, you're on the mountain ready to send your disciples out. And there's this, just this great line. Um, the disciples were gathered there, but some doubted. And even after they'd seen you risen from the dead, there were still the doubters and the skeptics. And so, God, I love that. Thank you for making room for us. Thank you for this community. And we pray God, that you would meet with us this morning. Um, we have other things to do with time. It's not like we're, um, we're, we're here because we've got nothing else going on. But whatever it was that brought us, God, um, you know, and we pray that you would meet with us now uh, in the name of Jesus, our Christ. Amen. I love that. That's a pedal, stew if you don't know what that is. It's also the color of his hair. So it's <laughs> a joke I'll make every time. Um, so brothers and sisters, uh, what I thought we'd do uh, today is to take a bit of what we've been learning. I think I'm funny. No one else, no one else does, but uh, I want to I talk, uh, I want to take what we've been learning about heaven and hell and uh, new creation um, and kind of bend it into the Christmas story a little bit, So, because the natives are restless for some Christmas. I guess the Hallmark Channel isn't covering every base, and so... Um, we're going to do a bit, of, uh, a bit of theology today around the, the concept of hope, and uh, to do that we've got some, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes of sort of theological background uh, before we even get to the relevant part of the, the Christmas story. So I um, just want to remind you of how the story begins and ends, and always, if, if you're hearing stuff, t- text your questions in, um, and we'll either do a teaching on it in the future, ignore it completely, or put it on the screen. So one of those things will happen. Um, uh, But if you would, go ahead and put up uh, Genesis chapter 2. This is the the beginning of the story, if you'd remember, of course. In Genesis 1, God creates, it is good. God creates, it is good. Genesis 2 sort of zeroes in on the piece of the earth that is called Eden. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed, The Lord God made all kind of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, these two trees are interesting. Um, Were they literal trees? Were they metaphors? I mean, we can get into endless debates about that. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the tree of judgment. So when our first parents rebelled against God, that was the tree they ate from. The tree of life, evidently, was a tree that they could eat from so that they could live forever. That we're not naturally immortal, only God is immortal. Um, We are mortal, and so the tree of life, eating from that, allowed us to live forever. And so what happens in the story is that Adam and Eve um, are in a garden with two trees. Um, and And they're given huge permission for everything except eat, do not eat, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what do they do? Must eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So they eat that, and then what God does is that God exiles them from the garden. Next slide. After God drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. In other words, God, the reason God exiled them was that God did not want uh, the man and the woman to live forever in their broken condition. And so he cuts them off from the tree of life. He does not let them go back. And you can go and see the flashing sword if you go uh, to certain parts in Mesopotamia. It's amazing. So, the story begins with an emphasis on a tree. And we have a likeness. This is what the tree of life looked like. Um, Ikea sells these. And um, (laughs) kind of underwhelming. Uh, And so so, the story begins with a tree that we are now barred from. And then the story ends, Revelation 22. The story ends with a description of the new new heavens and new earth, right? What we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, that's a reference to Jesus, down the middle of the great street of the city. This is the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth. On each side of the river stood the what? Stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, And I love this. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So the story begins with a tree of life and the story ends with a tree of life. Correct? Correct? We can't go backwards because we're barred from Eden and we're yearning for the, the tree that's coming, right? The tree that will characterize the new heavens and the new earth. So in one sense, and maybe you've heard me use this phrase before, in one sense, we now live between these two trees, right? We can't go back into Eden, and we're not yet in the new creation, so we live between these trees. We we are characterized by death and sin and suffering. God's gracious rule goes on forever that way, and it goes on forever this way, and, and obviously it's present here, But we've also talked about the earth being the place where other wills are done, not just God's. So for this time, see, the writer of Ecclesiastes calls this life under the sun. We'll call it life between two trees. The the, the tree of life that characterized the garden, the tree of life that characterizes new creation. We're stuck here in the middle. Now, the good news of the Christmas story, go to John chapter 1 if you have a Bible, or we'll just put it up on the screen. The good news of the Christmas story is that the God whose reign and rule characterizes this entire space, infinitely that way and infinitely that way, this God has invaded life between the trees. So, John very famously begins his biography of Jesus with this. In the beginning was the Word, and man, we could spend all day on what that means in the beginning but it's right here it's used as a title she had to go you can take that a lot of different ways. Okay. I mean, if you gotta go, you gotta go. You know what I'm saying? Not all of us are camels. I'm in a great mood. I'm so, it's two weeks to Christmas, guys. It's two weeks, it's two weeks, it's two weeks. It's like a freight train and you can't get out of the way, it's coming. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word what? was God. So so we're speaking of God and then this capital W Word. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jump down to verse 14. This Word, who was God and was with God, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Right. So the whole Christmas story is, is about The God whose sovereignty and rule and benevolence extend forever and ever and ever in every direction possible, taking on flesh and blood to join us between the trees, correct? To experience every, and when you read the Christmas story, the thing that's so staggering is that God stacks all of the odds against himself. In other words, he ensures that there isn't one aspect of evil that he himself does not experience whether it's a scandalous birth and his mom being stigmatized as an adulteress and his dad being accused of not being his real father and, and Jesus himself calling God the father, and not Joseph. I mean, you have all this craziness in the Christmas story. It's scandal. It's like God ensured that no one could accuse him of coming in on glory. When he, character, when he came, he himself came in a manner that was fitting for life between the trees. And this Jesus, this word that comes, bears good news, right? So if you put up Matthew, what's the message of Jesus? The message of Jesus was never believe and you'll go to heaven when you die. He never says that. This was the message of Jesus to his Jewish contemporaries. Repent, turn around, reorient your life. For the kingdom of the heavens has come near. The kingship of God that characterizes life this way, and the kingship of God that characterizes life this way, it's invaded here. And in the person of Jesus, it's come near to you. It's so near you could touch it and talk to it, relate to it. That's how near it's come. The good news of the Christmas story is that it's not just that Jesus was born in a manger, yes, but it's, the, it's, it's the, the reign and rule of God that is represented by life outside the trees. It's now invaded right here. And so Jesus says, reconfigure your life on the basis of this thing that God is doing. The kingdom has come right now. It's right here. So he says this all over the place. Next slide. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. What's the good news? The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and Believe. Right? Hello? It wasn't about life in heaven when you die. It was about right now. The the kingship of God that characterizes life outside the trees is just standing right next to you in the middle of life between them. It's awesome. The kingdom has fully come. Next. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is where? Already here. Right next to you. All right, so this is all still background. This has nothing to do with anything yet. Life between two trees, God invades. And when God invades, he's saying, my kingdom is here. The reign, the rule, the goodness, the power, the love, the, the sovereignty of God is now close to everyone between the trees. Because God himself has clothed himself, in fallen not in fallenness, but in life characterized by fallenness. But this is where it gets confusing if you're not confused already. Because Jesus shows up and he says, hey, 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 my kingdom's here. Right? We've seen that. But then he also says, look at me. This is so incredibly frustrating. Not the looking at me, but this next point. (laughs) At the same time he says that it's here, he says that it's coming. So he's walking around saying the kingdom's come, the kingdom's come, the kingdom's come. And then he walks around saying the kingdom's coming, the kingdom's coming, the kingdom's coming. So a couple examples of that confusion. Next. Next. While they were listening to this, Jesus went on to tell them a parable because it was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. This is two chapters after he said, it's right here. Two chapters later he said, well, it's not all the way here. Is that appearing all at once? Or Jesus all the time will say things like this in Matthew. He'll talk about the future. When the Son of Man, a messianic title, comes in his glory and the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be arrayed before him and he will judge them. All right, now, this is still background, but let's review for a second. Two trees, tree of life in the garden, tree of life in new creation, we live between them. The Christmas story is that God invades and comes bearing good news. What Life is like outside the trees can now be had inside them. This is what's called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the heavens. The same, this, the realm of God's authority and his goodness and sovereignty. Now people can participate in it in life between the trees. Why? Because Jesus has drawn near. So Jesus walks around saying, It's come, it's come, it's come, it's come, it's come, and miracles are happening and people are raising from the dead and, and, and Jesus is walking on water and rebuking storms and doing all this stuff because the kingdom's here. And while he's doing all this, he's also saying, it's coming. It's not fully here. This is, remember the whole image of the bit of spring in a long human winter? Remember that image? It's so compelling, clearly. I put time into these things, you know? (laughs) It's a bit of life outside the trees hitting right in the middle of life inside them. But Jesus lets us know it's actually two comings. It's two advents of Jesus. Jesus has come once and he brought his kingdom and he's coming again and with him will come new creation. Make sense? So we don't just live between two trees. We also live between two what? comings. The first coming of Jesus between the trees and the second coming that will bring new creation with it. Make sense? Okay, now, here's where the Christmas story clicks in for me. Go to Luke chapter two. This, perhaps, will get us close to relevance. Luke chapter two. In the Christmas story, particularly Luke's account, we meet several individuals whose spiritual life consists of one word, waiting. They have an armful of promises and Old Testament prophecies about the coming of Messiah, and they're waiting. And I just want to suggest that same posture adopted by Israel in waiting for the first advent of Messiah is the posture that we're to have in waiting for the second advent of Messiah. In other words, The people of God, how do we live between the trees? We wait, and guess how good we are at waiting? How good are we? We're horrific, horrific. I mean, waiting is the dirtiest of dirty words. Delay, never is that word used in a good sense, right? I mean, the flight delay, your meals delayed, the clock countdown clock at the fast food drive-through, You know, if it starts blinking over one minute, we're going like, come on, guys, seriously. We know you just manufacture this stuff straight out of garbage, so just do it already. Right? I mean, we are awful, 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 awful. And so the Christmas story, we've turned it into a story about gratification, right? We buy, we give, we receive. It's about gratification, the biblical story, though, is about waiting and expectation and grieving. And so there, you meet all these characters who are in that exact spot. And, and that's the spot I think God invites us into this time of year. So, Luke chapter 2, someone's working up here. Luke chapter 2, oh, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem. Jesus' parents have brought him to the table to be dedicated. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout, and he was what? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not die before he had physically seen the Lord's Messiah. How cool is that? So he just stays at the temple. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took Jesus in his hands and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now kill me. You may dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. Right? How beautiful is that? But here's a guy who's been waiting. Or flip down to verse 36. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, Renewal of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then was a widow until she was 84. All right? Now, if you don't think, old folks, you got stuff to do. Man, this, this lady is, totally rebukes that thought. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. So what was she doing? She's sitting there waiting. Coming up to, the, to Mary and Joseph at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking, what? Forward to the redemption of Israel. So, when the Christmas story first, where do I put my towel? There it is. When the Christmas story first appears, it's not a story about gratification at all. It's a story about waiting. You and I, How do we live between the trees? Well, we're waiting in the same way, correct? Because it's not just about two trees. Now we live between two comings. And for 2,000 years, people have been asking, when's Jesus gonna come back and bring the tree with him, right? And it's not happening. No matter how many predictions we get, no matter how many millions of books are sold predicting when this is gonna happen, right? We still just wait. one of the very neglected parts of the Christmas story is the invitation for Jesus followers to sit in expectation, anticipation, and waiting? Now, there are two things biblically that 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 uh, waiting requires. Waiting requires two different things: a witness to the hope that is coming, and a witness to the reality of grief in the meantime. In other words, as we sit expectantly, two things are true. Hope's coming, and hope is here, but we're still characterized by life in between the trees, correct? Biblical waiting is crying out, mourning, lament, weeping, uh, grieving with those who are grieving, and biblical waiting is anticipation and expectation and hope for deliverance. It's both of those at once. So the Christmas story is really a story about us not only to receive the Jesus who has come and to anticipate the Jesus who is coming again, but also to name the reality of the fallenness, suffering, and evil of life between the trees. It's both. The kingdom has come, so we celebrate, we pray for healing, right? We we expect that God does great things. But the kingdom hasn't fully come yet. And so we grieve and we mourn. We, we mourn with the, the 30 Coptic Christians that were murdered in their church this morning in Egypt. Right? I mean, we, we grieve life under the sun. The, the, the amount of pain and disappointment sitting in this room would be staggering. If we were all just to share it like A.J. shared it, I mean, we'd be here for days. Right? So a community that's built around waiting has to do two things. It has to be a community of hope, and it has to also be a community of sorrow, a community where sorrow is okay, a community where grief and lament are welcome. And so one of the oddest invitations of the Christmas story is to let it be a blue Christmas, is to actually not feel the pressure to get into whatever the holiday spirit is supposed to mean. I mean, there is this sense, and and studies back this up, where loneliness, depression, suicide, I mean, it's almost made worse in this season, right? Those of us who aren't, who are melancholy by nature, those of us who aren't pumped, right? We kind of just get lost in the middle of this whole thing. And so, what is life like characterized between the comings and between the trees well it's characterized by waiting we still got to live we still got to marry we still got to work we still got to study we still got to do what we do but the posture we're called to adopt is one that's filled with hope and one that's also filled with grief because we're the people that know it's not always going to be this way so we react against it now see the church and we talk about this all the time so I'm preaching in the choir literally here But very often the church doesn't give permission for people to be ugly and messy and and grieving, correct? I mean, we've had, I don't know how many stories have come up on this stage and said, yes, and when this happened, here were the cliches that all came my way. None of the cliches were helpful and all they did was make the hurt worse. Right, I mean, friends of ours lost a child and immediately the, the Christian community rushed in reminding them, well, they still had another one. And you're just like, really? We've often talked about our, our little boy who has Down syndrome. And when we first received the diagnosis, he was three months away from being born. And, you know, I don't know what stereotypes you have of people with Down syndrome, but it was all for us filled with Disneyland images of special needs days and, and you know, adults that weren't functional and, I mean, just awful. And so we were very, very disappointed I hate to say that, but I hate that I even have to say I hate to say that. And I would get emails from people saying, hey, you shouldn't be upset about this. And I'd be glad to receive the the truth of those emails, except that they were coming from people who didn't have children with special needs, right? Why Why would you correct me when you don't even know? Don't we do that? I hate it. And so life between the trees, I mean, God's people, I don't know how it ever came. A fact of Christian culture that we got to clean it up and we got to keep it polished and no one's allowed to be sloppy and messy and no one's allowed to be doubtful and hurt and no one's allowed to struggle in their marriage and no one is allowed to resent their kids and no one's allowed, right, to hate their job. See, life between the trees is brutal, so we're to be the place where it's okay to admit it's brutality. Part of the Christmas, what the Christmas story pulls out in me is the posture of waiting. And what does that posture of waiting require? All of the hurts along the way. An acknowledgement of lament and grief and pain and sorrow, right? The Bible gives us so much permission to worship and to pray out of hurt and anger and disappointment, and none of us know how to do it. Now, I know I'm making the point that you guys all agree with, but what kind of community are we going to be? Are we going to be the community where there's the subtle pressure to make sure you got it all together, or are we going to be the community where it's really okay to not just confess the things I used to struggle with, but the things I struggle with now? Where it's okay to reveal, yep, my marriage, we're hanging by thread. Where it's okay to talk about, I mean, I remember when my dad was withering away from cancer and very well meaning church folk came in and they just said, well, it must be God's plan. (laughs) And I'm like, what Bible are you reading? God's plan was Eden, that was God's plan. Right? Cancer is not part of his plan. God's not up there giving people cancer. What kind of monster is that? Man, when Jesus shows up, he's healing people. Right? Oh, I still get angry about that. So we're going to be a community that just tells the truth about life between the trees. Because we're waiting. And waiting is brutal sometimes. Right? For those of you that live with debilitating pain, waiting is awful. For those of you waiting to get a phone call from a doctor, waiting is awful. For those of you lonely in singleness and tortured with the thought that you'll never have somebody or you'll never have kids, waiting is horrible. So, why would we just be a community that says, nope, it's all polished and it's all beautiful? It's not. So, we go deep into grieving. But, as Paul says, we grieve not as those who have no hope. So this is the weird part. We realize we're the community that believes that hope is found in the midst of suffering and not just in its absence. We're the community that is dumb enough or faithful enough to believe that it's not always going to be this way. See, that's what makes us more in touch with suffering. Is it's, this just Human history isn't an endless cycle of rinse and repeat. No, human history has a point, a telos. It's going somewhere. And the king is coming. And in the face of doubt, and in the face of 2,000 years of seeming silence, we are the stubborn people that keep saying, nope, it won't always be this way. Depression doesn't have the last word. Divorce doesn't have the last word. Bankruptcy doesn't have the last word. Disease doesn't have the last word. Failure doesn't have the last word. Your adultery doesn't have the last word. Your abortion doesn't have the last word. None of that has the last word. And so how do we live as people who do both? I used to think that they're good days and they're bad days. And then I realized that hope and suffering run on parallel tracks all the time there are always things I'm wrestling with and disappointed about, and there are always things that I'm incredibly hopeful about and pumped, and that both are true always. Sometimes one gets more dominant than the other, but to try to integrate life, I realized, no, 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 It's actually parallel tracks. The reality of grieving and the reality of hope exist simultaneously in us. So, Here's what I want you to do. You don't have to, of course. Did you guys get note cards when you came in? So, we thought it would be a good idea to give you something to do. I know. Try to keep you awake as long as possible. So, here's what we're going to do, all right? Take out the note card, and um, we're going to take 10 minutes. Jackie's gonna come out and um, she's gonna play um, just music on the piano. No words, no lyrics. Just she's just gonna play. On one side of that card, if you'd like, I would love for you to write the reality of your grieving. Where are the areas of disappointment? Where are the areas of lament? What are the things that you're mourning? What are the things and where are the areas where waiting is just awful for you right now? I want you to testify to the reality of suffering and disappointment in life between the trees on one side. You may need more note cards. But on the other side, what is the reality of your hope? Because both exist simultaneously. What's the reality of hope? And maybe if you just write, it's not always going to be this way. That's it, that's all you got. Or he's coming, or whatever it is. What's the reality of your hope? So we'll give you eight or nine minutes to do that, if you'd like. And then I'll come back up and introduce communion. And like we have done before, we want you to leave those cards in these little buckets. And then take communion as the acknowledgement that suffering and hope both exist, right? Because what are you taking? You're taking the reminder of the torture, right? You're, you're ta- it's, like, it's like you'd pick up little mini guillotines. I mean, we're weird people. This is a celebration of death that brings life. And so on the one hand, it's the reminder of grief and life under the sun. But on the other, it's the reminder of the hope that we have in Christ. So does that make sense? You guys Okay. Lord Jesus, I just simply pray that you would draw near to the brokenhearted, and uh, that you would give us courage to get a a bit in touch uh, with those areas and places where there is disappointment, and there are wounds that need healing. And I also pray that you would get us in touch with the hope of, of Jesus, that it's now and not yet, that you heal now and that you speak now and you work now and absolutely the kingdom's come and it's coming. And so, God, we pray that we'd be a people that wait well, full of expectancy, but also giving permission to each other to express the disappointment of life between the trees. To that end, God, would you guide us and receive our thinking and our praying now in the name of Christ, amen. Why don't we stand together? My brothers and my sisters, God bless you. It is such a joy to share the table with you every week. Um, if uh, you're new to our community, you can go to voxoc.com. Find out more about us. Give us your information. Um, we can add you to our, uh, our email list. Um, also, just again, two weeks from now, we expect that you will be Jesus' people your families, and among your friends, and that you will, um, uh, you will have uh, just an incredible time celebrating. Um, we will prepare ourselves uh, Saturday, so two weeks from yesterday. We will be here at 4.30 and at 6. Uh, more details to come next week. Uh, but I thought, Izzy, Izzy's going to do our blessing today. Yes. And uh, we love all of Izzy's friends when they come uh, to share with us. So Pretty proud of them. Proud to be
0: their friend. Um, All right. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and grant you peace. Amen. Oh, he left. He was just out of here. All right. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening to the Vox
0: Community Podcast. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.